0: I've made really, really good friendships that I wasn't looking for when I first joined, but more than anything, I feel like I've got this huge crew now, all of whom are like approachable and humble and also really excited about the same things that I'm excited about. Whether I do a single other deal or not is now so far besides the point. I just wanna hang out and like do fun stuff together.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today's guest, Joab Gilad, is a GoBundance member, investor, private money lender, and an all-around great guy. He's part of my chapter up in Michigan once I get back there. And it's great to have you today, Joab. Good to see you, brother.
0: Thank you very much, Jamie. It's a pleasure.
1: Yeah, of course, man. Good to see you as always. And um, you've been in the tribe a couple of years now. We're going on a couple of years, I think. And you've, I mean, I love the way you show up. I love the way you, you popped in and just dove in. You're leading the chapter right now. I mean, you're doing all these things. So- Kudos to you, brother! I love how you're, you're you. You show up in go So, it,
0: it's a great group of guys. It's my honor.
1: Absolutely. Well, let's get back into some backstory. I mentioned private lender, entrepreneur, investor, all that stuff. Michigan. I know that's not home or originally home. Give us some of the backstory. Where from? What'd you do? How'd you get to where you are today?
0: Yeah. So, uh, moved here from California, from Los Angeles. Uh, went to a small town up north, Traverse City. Went from 15 million to 15,000 people, uh, which was kind of culture shock, shocking. Um, I, I loved walking to work every day because it was a little small town, but uh, I missed the big city. So we moved down here to Ann Arbor and love it. Um, great group of guys, great group of people. We've built a life here and it's been really um, shit. I lost my train of thought. It's, it's a, been really wonderful. So sorry. Um, it's that's all right. yeah,
1: look, it's a natural move to go from L.A. to Traverse City, Michigan. I mean, that's we all right. get why. But just for those who don't understand why you would do that out there, what precipitated the move from, what is it? Not Sin City. The City of Angels. There we go. There you go. To Traverse so, City, Michigan.
0: Sorry for forgetting the question. Um, I used to be in automotive journalism. I also used to be an automotive designer before that. And I got a job up in Traverse City uh, working for a classic car insurance company that also had a very large media branch. Uh, I was running their digital media, and then they opened a branch down here. But I'm just a huge car guy, love cars, and uh, love talking about them.
1: What, um, what does that look like, digital media marketing for a classic car brand? So you're advertising in publications, trade shows, that sort of thing in
0: the, in the classic car space? Yes, but what we were doing specifically was writing articles about classic cars and their owners, uh, producing content, videos, photography, articles, uh, and then also advertising at shows and showing up, doing the big car shows uh, around the U.S.
1: Sounds like a dream job in some ways, no?
0: Oh, it was incredible. Yeah, I loved it. (laughs) Did it pay well? Uh, yeah, it paid very well, and I got to fly on private jets once in a while, and like it was, it was a lot of fun, and just play with cars all day. It was what was a great the job. private
1: jets? Are these clients or the owner of the place? The owner of the place. <laughs> he had his own jet.
0: Uh, I think he rented, but still, but yeah, he was doing okay.
1: Wow. All right. And now, is this still? I mean, a classic cars are still a thing. Do you know is that business still thriving?
0: Yeah, I mean, they went public. They're well. Before they went public, they were basically printing money. Now I know that they've hit some tough times and had to lay some people off, but the company is does well.
1: Is the role that you had there has it morphed, adjusted? Is it gone? Like, is that something that you could still do to this day?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: So, what made you leave? I got fired.
0: <laughs> oh, well, let's talk about that. What did you do? So I didn't do anything uh, acutely I, didn't, I wasn't like stealing or, you know, banging the secretary or anything like that. Um, no, I, I, I am very, very type A and I think I rubbed people in Traverse City the wrong way. And when they brought a new vice president in, um, we didn't really see eye to eye and he let me go.
1: Well, give, it, give a little more on that type A, rub people the
0: wrong way. How? I'm honest and I don't mind providing critical feedback and some people don't appreciate it and you know when I say no this is wrong they would rather be told you're doing great you know good effort keep trying and I'm like no this is wrong this does not fly so, so
1: what what uh, what do they tell you when they let you go? What was the cause? Or did they not need? Uh,
0: no, I asked. I was like, "Why?" Uh, <laughs> and uh, the the cause was lack of lack of editorial experience, lack of management experience, lack of. They they basically went through a list that was all lack of this experience, lack of that experience, lack of. And I mean, it was an excuse at the end of the day.
1: How long? How long were you there?
0: <clears throat> uh, about a year and a half.
1: And this is only in Traverse City, right? This isn't the same company in L.A. that you transferred to the same, like another branch in Traverse City? No, no, a... I, they,
0: they hired me from L.A. I moved there. I was in Traverse City for a year. And then they opened a media branch down in Ann Arbor, uh, which is what allowed me to come down here. Um, and then six months after we moved down, bought a house down here. Uh, that was it.
1: So what happens next? You're out of a job unexpectedly, <laughs> I assume. What happens next?
0: Yeah, it was it was tough, mostly because I defined myself as a car guy. And suddenly I wasn't because I lost this job uh, or I thought I wasn't. And then when I moved here, it was with the goal of this being my last car job. I actually wanted to go into content, into Hollywood content, making movies, writing movies, things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dream was actually to pick which movies get made and which don't. But I couldn't kind of jump because I got canned. And so that dream was kind of done. Uh, And there weren't really any other car outlets, you know, content outlets that I wanted to work for. This was definitely like a a dream job. So I was just like, no, I'm done. Fortunately, uh, my wife started the real estate company flipping at the time. And so I was just like, well, I'm part-time anyway. I'll just go full-time and help where I can.
1: When was that? What year flipping and doing all of that?
0: That was, uh, I made the transition in like July, 2017. So oh, okay. about six years ago.
1: And she had been doing it for, for like just a year or just started. How long uh, had she been doing like, it?
0: she had been doing it about two or three years at that point.
1: Got it all right, so this yeah. is fairly recent that she started the business and that you uh, you were able to leverage it, okay. Yeah. as an aside, and by the way, people that might be thinking like, what kind of cars we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Just trust me on this. So you were talking about uh, you were oh, the 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 dream of of picking movies in in Hollywood, I, I'm unclear, and maybe I just didn't quite catch it, but why is that why did that dream have to die?
0: I don't know that it did. It just seemed like there was no easy segue between writing content about cars and then somehow building that up into a job that I thought I could do, which is judging and picking content for a studio. The main impetus behind it was was honestly the money. Uh, I don't think there's any more glamour in it or any of that stuff. It was just, I can pick content, I can edit content um, you know, for six figures a year for this you know, car content site, or I can do the same thing for five to 10 times more for a movie studio. Um,
1: It's like anything, right? They say, if you can, if you can sell and you want to make money, sell the most expensive thing there is, right? If you know how to sell, why sell widgets, sell the most expensive possible thing you can. It just makes more sense. So completely get that. Okay. So talk to me about the business of flipping houses. So what did that look like when you got fired you know what kind of volume were you doing and then where was the peak so i don't think you're are you, i don't know if you're flipping anymore are you
0: no i mean uh so the last one we flipped i think was a year or two ago yeah and if we got a smoking deal um we might try it we might try to do it with someone else like partnering sure um we were doing a handful at a over a year um not you know, we're not one of, we weren't one of those teams that were like doing a hundred a year or even fifty a yeah. year. I don't know, 10 or 20 a year, not a ton. Yeah. Uh, yeah. one or two a month, so, right?
1: That's one or two a month that you're doing.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. a lot
1: of houses that you're flipping, in my opinion. So and that was the was that the peak, or was that when you took over? No, that was it? that
0: was the peak. Um, and yeah. yeah, it was right around the time that I joined, but that was that was the peak. Um, and she had been doing them since we lived in LA before we even dreamed we would move here to Michigan. But coincidentally, we're flipping in Michigan. Um, and the only reason we started here was that the cost to buy in was relatively low. And it was also the next upcoming county tax sale. So it was like just the timing was right. And so we jumped in in Michigan and kind of went from there. It was just blind luck.
1: When did lending come into the, into the equation?
0: So lending came into it in 2017, uh, De- December 30th. Almost the last day of the year, we wrote our first loan. Uh, This woman approached us and said she wanted to do Airbnb arbitrage. Um, And we're like, what is that exactly? And she's like, well, I'll rent a place and put it on Airbnb and you give me the money and then I'll give you a return. And we're like, okay, is that even legal? Can we lend money for that? Talked to a lawyer, it was legal, we could lend. Um, and so we did it. We wrote a loan for like ten thousand uh, dollars, and then we wrote three more loans to her so she could do it three more times. Um, and then we were kind of off and running because it was a lot like fixing and flipping, but you don't have to wait for contractors to show up. If you can do the underwriting, you're good to go.
1: Today, what, what kind of loans are you providing? Give me kind the idea. Like, what's the person that, or what's the uh, asset that people bring to you to say, "Hey, I want to get lending on this," that you look at or don't look at
0: so now we do strictly we strictly do houses we strictly write loans on houses we've done everything from like a twelve thousand dollar warehouse uh to or i guess i should say properties not houses but we've done a twelve thousand dollar warehouse and our biggest loan is somewhere around seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for a a single family in like birmingham um that was a flip
1: that was a flip. So, how do you how do you underwrite these loans? Like, what criteria are you using to underwrite these types of loans?
0: It's mostly a question of the rehab budget uh, and figuring out what condition the property is actually in, and then pulling comps for the as is as well as the ARV.
1: Okay, and then you you loan as a percentage of the total project purchase price plus plus uh, uh, rehab or a yep. percentage of both. What, what so yeah. if I found let's say I found a $500,000 house that I wanted to flip with an ARV of 700 needs 50K, right? So $500,000 purchase, 50,000 in rehab, ARV 700K. What kind of lending, if I were well-qualified and the property will qualified, what kind of lending uh, terms do you think I would be able to secure if I'm coming through you?
0: Yeah. So normally on something like that, we'll do up to 85% of the purchase price and a hundred percent of the rehab through draws um, it's pretty straightforward. It depends mostly on middle credit score. and uh, we just go from there.
1: What's the night, give me an idea of like, so right now, if I went out and got a mortgage on a property, it would be what? 5.56%. I, I could be a little off on that just as we sit right now. It, it what's the, what's the premium or a, give me a sense of what an interest rate would be if lending through you or, or borrowing through you.
0: Uh, So on 30-year stuff, because we do write loans on rentals, 30-year loans, fixed rate, fully amortized, those right now are at about 6.5% base. You're
1: you're writing fully amortized loans, private loans? So no term?
0: No, 30-year, 30-year term,
1: uh, fixed rate, full M. And those are what, 80-20, 75-25? What's that loan to value look like?
0: Uh, On a purchase, it's 80-20. 80-20.
1: Yep. Eighty twenty. 20 So you act like a bank. You're essentially a, a, your own portfolio. How are exactly. you funding these? Because I mean, unless there's something about you that I don't know you of, that you're throwing out $750,000 loans and you have a bunch of them. How are you funding these other than just being extremely financially savvy? <laughs> uh,
0: I wish that was the case. I'd like to think it is. It's probably not. Uh, we basically write as many short-term loans as we can until we're out of cash. And when that happens, we rely on partners to fund other short-term loans. Uh, with the long-term stuff, the 30-year, we have zero desire to hold 30-year paper. So we underwrite it, we originate it, all that stuff. But then we assign it at close to a partner. And so they bring the money, they take the loan, we get a very, very, very small cut. And you know, we're off to the next one.
1: Do you, sur- you don't service the loan at all? Nothing like that after it's closed? No.
0: Uh, so we service the short-term stuff, not yeah. the long-term. Not yep. the
1: long-term. Wow, that's interesting. Okay. And your loans on the short-term or long-term side, like how, talk about DSCR. How does that factor into what you're doing?
0: Yep. So the DSCR really only affects the long-term stuff, and we have a requirement of 1.1 uh, income to expenses on, on the long-term. Income
1: to expenses or debt, debt coverage, right? So income to debt, debt payment.
0: Yeah. So it's basically all of it. It's the income to the PITI.
1: Okay. So the principal,
0: the insurance, but also the taxes and the insurance.
1: Okay. So to be clear for those that may not know what this is, DSCR is debt service coverage ratio. So you're essentially saying that for, if you add up the amount in a year, add up 12 payments of interest, principal taxes, and insurance, and say that's, Say that's two thousand a twenty four thousand dollars for the year, and this is going to get me all messed up with the math. They have to, <laughs> they have to be able to show twenty four thousand plus ten percent in order for yeah. you to fund that loan, correct?
0: Yep. So it would be if the expenses are twenty four thousand a year, the income would have to be twenty six thousand four hundred or more.
1: Right. So twenty four thousand plus 10 percent makes perfect yeah. sense. That's uh, that's that's interesting. It's actually incredible financing when you think about it. What um, and just for those listening, where do you finance or where don't you finance? What parts of the country, we- world?
0: Yeah, we can actually write loans in 44 states. Uh, unfortunately, we cannot lend in Puerto Rico. Uh, 44 states, as long as it is not rural.
1: As long, what's rural mean?
0: Uh, anywhere with a population density of under 500 people a square foot. It gets very technical, but the mm. bottom line is, if the appraiser calls it rural, then it's rural. And we do require appraisals. Got it,
1: um, got it.
0: If they say it's suburban or urban or whatever, then we can lend on it.
1: Makes sense. So with the six states, I'm kind of curious. Do you know, them off the top of your head, which ones they're not?
0: Uh, Alaska, Nevada, that's the big one. Hmm. North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, and Vermont.
1: Wow. Minnesota and Nevada are decent-sized states. What Any yeah. reason why? Or is it just
0: licensing? It's, it's licensing. It's a lot tougher there. For whatever reason, the laws are written in such a manner that it makes it very hard to lend
1: interesting now for you personally so you're you're in the side of seeing a lot of deals analyzing them determining if they're if it's good debt and I know we've talked you've had a really good track record with um, the loans that you've put out there you know you've, you which is incredible but for you personally do you ever do you ever keep any of these you ever use your own service essentially like fund some stuff for yourself to hold 30 years what does your portfolio look like
0: no we so we don't have any 30 year stuff uh, we will hold the the loans that we put the cash out on as long as they're obviously you know, working and whatever, serviceable. Uh, our portfolio also includes multifamily. Mm. Um, we started buying at the, at the perfect wrong moment, but nevertheless. Uh, Me with crypto, so, same, yeah. Nice. Yeah, so we've got a uh, 98 unit down in Alabama that we were uh, key partners on, and then we're LPs on a handful of other deals. Uh, and interestingly enough, we're now actually looking at lending on oil equipment, which mm. both terrifies me and thrills me uh, because I do like risk, um, but I don't know what I don't know about it. And so I'm like, this is probably a really bad idea. Uh, well, but- maybe
1: I got I got a guy in a merge. I'll connect you to <laughs> who's in that space in the oil oh, awesome. and gas uh, uh, investment space. And he's done some stuff down there. He's re- very knowledgeable. He'll. He's, he he goes fast, man. Like he's like, I'm like, Whoa, slow down. He's a smart guy. So it just kind of yeah. flies out of him, but I'll connect you to him because that might be uh hopefully beneficial and educational. So
0: awesome. Thank you.
1: I love that, man. All right. So investing in multifamily, you mentioned that, you know, it's uh exact wrong time. That's true. One of the, one of the, one of the um, operators I invest with, not a GoBundance person. Uh, we just got a, an email newsletter from them with, you know, kind of like, Hey, you know, we're struggling with some of these properties. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I should have, I know, I knew that, Hey, they kind of run fast and they could get caught in a debt bubble. um, But, you know, it doesn't look like the, the assets are going to go away. It's just not going to get the returns that we initially thought, you know, um, more likely somewhere between money back and a little bit more kind of thing. Okay. Um, but yeah, it is a it is a tough time in multifamily for sure. But for you, what's the what's the future plan with this then? Not only with multifamily, but are you staying in Michigan? That's
0: a great question. <laughs> I don't know in the immediate term, yes, um, but we are talking about moving back to California. All of our family is out there, and so it, it, you know, having kids here without any real family around is kind of tough. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. But we are planning on growing the business. We are actively looking for a marketing person and a social media person. And Mm -hmm. so we're, I mean, we, you know, our goal when we started was to become the rocket mortgage of private lending. We're still trying to do that. And, you know, I don't think it'll happen in a day, but we're, we're working towards it.
1: Always going toward it. I'm just curious, the political environment, the tax environment in California scare you at all, or is it, Hey, look, (laughs) it's family. I, you know, I got to overcome that
0: yeah it's uh it is what it is i i i'm I don't expect to do a ton of business out there. I'm not moving for that reason, uh, although the deals are much larger than they are in Michigan so that would be kind of nice and they do allow private lending but i'm I'm primarily moving just for family and for the weather and um yeah
1: got it. got it makes sense. the weather is nice. you can't take that yeah, away from okay. California ever no matter where you are so. Hey, listen up. Are you ready to take your life and business to unimaginable new levels? Not just new levels, but unimaginable new levels. GoBundance is a community for active entrepreneurial men and women who desire to live epic lives. With the GoBundance membership, you'll gain access to high-level trainings, collaborate with high-level millionaire entrepreneurs, get accountability through our GoPods. My GoPod and I have been together for four-plus years. They're amazing. And experience epic adventures around the world. Plus, you get access to GoWives, Go couples, access to fam abundance, to continual high volume deal flow. Join this tribe. Trust me on this. As a reason I pay my tuition every year and succeed like you never have before. If you want the results you hear from members who are on this podcast or even my own results, GoBundance is the pathway. It's as simple as applying and letting me or one of our ambassadors talk to you about what membership looks like at any level. GoBundance.com, apply, and we'll make sure we put you in the right community for you. Join us today, back to the show. All right, let's dive into some of these GoBundance questions. We are going to, why is it not pulling up for me? We are going to dive in first to questions about the pillars. So as a reminder to everybody, the six pillars are genuine contribution, horizontal income, authentic relationships, bucket list adventure, age-defying health, and extreme accountability. Can't believe I got them without thinking. That's awesome. The first question is, in which GoBundance pillar are you,
0: Yoav, crushing it? Oh, man. Oh, man. About six months ago, I would have said business, uh, or I guess that's not a pillar technically. Um,
1: <laughs> the horizontal
0: side. Yeah, I mean, horizontal income, et cetera. Uh, now it's still going very well. Uh, so let me answer your question. Where am I crushing it? I think accountability, hmm. uh, I, I do hold myself accountable and I know what I want to achieve. And so I'm okay putting in the work that it requires.
1: Yeah. It makes sense. So do you have a, are you in a pod right now? Yeah. Yeah. How does, is your pod tight, like big on accountability or is it more like,
0: you know, we run things by each other? I think we run things by each other. There are instances where we are very, we hold one another very accountable. Yeah. Uh, but then there are instances where we slack a little bit and, you know, it's kind of like, all right, just try better. Uh, we don't really penalize each other. So
1: Yeah. My pod's similar, you know, and I think you kind of get a sense for when, when it needs it, like, you know, Hey, you're, 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 uh, you're running in place right now. I got to push versus, all right. Hey, you know, everybody has a bad week kind of thing. So it makes makes perfect sense. The other question on pillars in which pillar could you use more support and accountability?
0: Probably genuine contribution. Hmm. Talk to me about Uh, that. I tend to push it off till the end of the year and then just write checks Uh, I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. It's all, it always feels very last minute and rushed.
1: Makes perfect sense. I think it's a, a, that's a a lot of us. I do the same end of year feels festive. It's time to give the season, all of that stuff. And, um, you know, throughout the year, I have a couple of things that we give to on a monthly basis, just like it's recurring, like off the credit card kind of thing. Uh, but you're right. The majority of what I give and do tends to come at the end of the year. So I feel you on that. Uh, where in your life are you potentially flirting with disaster?
0: Uh, definitely health mm-hmm. uh, okay. and fitness. Yeah. So it, it's just always been a concern of mine. Um, as I've, I've shared freely with a lot of other GoBros, basically I was born with cystic fibrosis and uh, it's a genetic lung disease. And I actually had a double lung transplant about 23 years ago. And so I don't know if I'm actively flirting with disaster, but you never know what could be next. And, you know, especially after a transplant, there are issues of rejection and things like that. And so it's just, it definitely motivates you to to think about your bucket list and, and to live every day as if it was your last because quite well could be, but you never know. And so I'm, it's just something always in the back of my mind and, um, yeah so could it,
1: I don't know how this works could it could you twenty three years could you still have your body reject your lungs
0: yeah, so I still take immunosuppressants daily Wow um, and there's there are two types of rejection, and there are better people to ask than myself, but there's chronic and there's uh acute acute is what you suffer usually kind of shortly after a transplant, but chronic is just you know, you've had this organ for a very long time and, you know, your body is just done with it. Um, so, and I don't understand it very well. I've not yeah. studied it or anything like that. So I is, apologize for that.
1: No, no, no. Is there, is there, I don't know the space. Is there a high likelihood or chance or, uh, per statistical percentage of people that have to have another transplant?
0: There aren't a ton of people. I mean, this, the statistics on people who survive more than five years after a lung transplant is it's not statistically meaningful the the wow. the population group yeah. um yeah when when i went through it in 2000 and i asked what are the survival numbers and they're like well we have one year and we have five year but there aren't a lot of five year and so it really doesn't mean anything so Forgive my
1: ignorance on this cf cyst- cystic fibrosis uh creates um I don't know, like a, like fluid in the lungs, like phlegm in, in the lungs yeah. and everything. Right. So it, it's sort of like you're drowning in your own body, essentially. So is that right. a fair way of putting it?
0: Yeah. The, the, yes, you're a hundred percent right. The real issue is that it harbors bacteria. And so it causes infections. And the real issue is that those infections cause scarring. And so slowly over time, uh, your lung capacity diminishes, diminishes because They're not viable lung cells. They're scar tissue. And so you basically slowly suffocate.
1: Wow. You, um, does this, how does this show up? I mean, you're taking the immunosuppressants. You had the transplant 23 years ago. Aside from that, does it show up in your life on a daily basis in any way?
0: I mean, there have been a lot of side effects that I have to deal with. Like I became diabetic. That's a thing now. So I have to take insulin and I have to take medications and, I've broken both of my feet on different occasions, because now I also have osteoporosis. And so a lot of other things happen and it's kind of like a, uh, um, it's a quality of life question. Like, whereas before, you know, before the surgery, I could barely go up a flight of stairs. I was on oxygen all the time. There was no question I would have been dead within a year had I not had the surgery. But because I had the surgery, now there are all these other things that can happen. Um, Cancer rates are much higher in transplant recipients because the immunosuppressants kind of knock your immune system down. And so you're kind of trading one problem for another. Having said that though, like, I mean, there's no comparison. So I kind of have to take it a little bit easier sometimes and not push myself as hard. Um, You know, when COVID came around, I was on lockdown at home all the time. And so was my family. Because if I went out and got it, it probably would have been a death sentence, um, so. Makes sense. But it, it's kind of a trade-off.
1: Wow! Wow! The Boomer Esiason's son, I think, famously yeah. is cystic has cystic fibrosis, I be- and and this is terrible. But I believe he's still alive, and he's outlived most. Correct?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: What's the? I feel like, and listening to that story at some point, and and I don't know if you follow this at all, but it's almost as if he's alive because you know, like almost like months before or a year before, you know, whatever might be the end for him, um, new technology or new breakthroughs are happening in that space. W- what's the state of it right now? Do you have any sense of that? Like where is where is cystic fibrosis treatment today, Say when, be, say versus when you were younger and going through what you were going through?
0: Yeah, so it depends very, very heavily on the mutation in the genes. And there are different sort of variants of cystic fibrosis. And so there are now treatments that did not exist when I was a child um, to to treat it to make it sort of survivable. Uh, however, those treatments do not work for a hundred percent of the CF population. Uh, they work for I think like ninety five percent, but there's still a small segment that is that is in trouble still.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, there's that's that's a pretty positive stat though overall. Ninety five percent can be treated in some way and. You, know, you see so much money being poured into things like cancer research and everything. And sometimes you wonder like, what are the advancements? Like so much money has gone there, but in this case, it sounds like there's been significant advancement, which is really good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's Interesting. It's, it's been huge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now, thanks for sharing that, man. Thanks for opening up on that. Um, yeah. All right. In what specific way has GoBundance impacted your life?
0: Oh man. I, I remember when I joined, I was like, all right, I'm going to try it for a year and you know, who knows, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, whatever that means. I I wanted to get into it because I thought it would help me do a lot more deals. (laughs) Um, And I was more than anything, I think I wanted a lot of deal flow. Uh, And it's done that a little bit, not a ton, but you know, I've done some deals because of it. But more than anything, um, I've made really, really good friendships that I wasn't looking for when I first joined. Or, or I wasn't thinking about when I first joined, um, but more than anything, I feel like I've got this huge crew now. Um, some of whom I know better than others, but like, but it's it, they're all kind of open to to meeting and to being friends, and so I think that's been the the biggest difference, um, especially coming out of COVID. Uh, you know, you went, I went through this period of feeling basically alone for. Two years or whatever it was a year and a half and then shortly thereafter i joined this group where it was like you know you go to an event and there's a hundred guys all of whom are like approachable and humble and you know also really excited about the same things that i'm excited about and so it's just been awesome and like whether i do a single other deal or not is now so far besides the point um i just want to hang out and like do fun stuff together
1: yeah. You might, you've shown up to so many events, man. I, I've been honestly, like I said, it's like, wow. Like you said, when you joined, I could sense that, right? It was more of a, I, I'll check this out. I've heard good things. Yeah. I'm but, sure it's good for business. So why not? I'll invest the 10 or 12 grand or whatever it is. But then like what I've seen, you know, from afar and you know me, I'm all over the freaking place, but what I see from afar is, is, um or even up close is like, wow, you, where do we go together? We were in Austin for, Oh, the champion event, we went to the champion nope. event in Austin together, right? Like you showed up for that. You're at the, the, the different uh, elite events, Detroit, I think park city or, or one of those, I can't remember exactly which one, but you went to a couple of the different ones there. And, um, and now the chapter you're running the local chapter after I I left and then Grant left, everybody's leaving you, but you're taking care of it. Right. Um, and it's just really cool to see, like you said, like, all right, yeah, there's some transactions there. And I know some of the guys that you've done business with, they love you. They're like, Oh my God, I'll continue to do business with this guy. And I Thank I you. think and hope from this show, <laughs> you, you might get a few calls or texts or, text or emails. So, so yeah. we'll make sure to get that at the end of this, but, Oops. um, but it is cool to see what you've done with your membership. So I guess that leads to the the next question is what advice would you give to a new or prospective member of Go Abundance?
0: Oh man. It's like anything else you get out of it, what you put into it. If, if you want to make the friendships and, and have fun and build relationships, you got to show up to the events because you can go on calls and you can be on Facebook, but it's, it's just not the same thing. Um, I think being in person uh, is the key?
1: Yeah, agree. I actually really really miss. I think I said that in the WhatsApp recently. Like moving back to Michigan, no bullshit. Like one of the the three things that is really really appealing about it is being able to get to the local chapter again and just yeah. you know, seeing the guys. You know, like Brent has a lake house not too far from where I live. We've gone up there a few times. You know, just that camaraderie. I mean, I'm I'm literally on an island. You know, down here. So <laughs> so yeah. it, it'll be nice to get back and see everybody.
0: Yeah, all I right. Can't wait to see you.
1: Yeah, of course you can't. All right. I told you I'd <laughs> saved this last question. I thought it was so perfect. Literally generally generated randomly. And the reason why I didn't ask about a certain topic earlier. So the question, eight of hearts, what is the fastest you've ever drove something with a motor?
0: Great. Oh, man. It's like, could not be a better question. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know the exact number, but between 185 and 190 miles an hour. And what was it? it was a ferrari 360.
1: Okay. What well, uh, what is the uh, give me a year range. When was a ferrari 360 made? It was a 2000.
0: Uh okay. I think it was the first model year for that car. Um and you know, I I reached a point where I was like I want one screw it I'm going to buy it and so I bought one. Uh and it was the worst decision I ever made because every time I drove it something else would break and it was yeah. a fortune to fix. But anyway, uh, when it ran right, it was amazing. And it was, you know, the happiest two days when you buy it, and when you sell it. Yeah. Uh, but where, did you,
1: where did you get it to 185, 190? Where was that?
0: <laughs> so uh, I went with a buddy of mine to see the Formula One race in Montreal
1: yeah.
0: from Michigan. And so we drove, we drove basically from Detroit to upstate New York and then cut up to, to Montreal. And we did it somewhere in upstate New York.
1: I-87. Had to be I-87. It's like a Probably. dead man zone from Albany to Montreal. There's nothing north of Albany, like north of Saratoga. Yep. Oh my God. You can, I could definitely see where there's no cops. There's no nothing you can get rolling. Have you, have you, are you tuned into these cannon, what are the cannonball runs? What are they yeah. called? Dude, I, I was in uh, Denver. For, um, we were closing on a deal there. I I think it was Detroit Street, ironically. We were closing on a deal and I I hired this videographer to come out and so we can create some content, film the property put some stuff out to our investors and all that stuff. I went to lunch with him and a couple of the guys on the team. And this dude's a cannonball run guy. He's like the third fastest in the country or something. No shit. And the stuff he went through, like they went from New York City to LA in 29 hours, 30 hours, something like that. And they have spotters like yep. up in front. So they literally, there's like three in a car. They have like bathroom. They have three stops for gas and bathroom. So they have to like piss in bottles the whole way. They rotate the seats and sleep. They're going like 200 miles an hour or whatever. Maybe not that fast, but you get it. And then they have spotters all the way up through that, that run ahead and say, Hey, cop up here. And they slow down. It's insane. Have you ever gotten involved with any of this?
0: So I know a few guys that do it. I have not done it personally. Um, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I, I part of me would really like to do it. And part of me is like, that is a, just a terrible idea.
1: I'm a dad like, and a husband.
0: Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> this like, guy's I don't want to go to jail and right. all the rest of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He said that. I'm like, well, what, what's what's is this thing sustainable? He goes, oh, one bad accident. It's over. He's yeah. like, it's over. It unearths the whole underground. But there's a whole system the guys spend a lot of money building these cars and everything oh, so yeah. wow all right so you got fastest car we'll stay on this for a second favorite car favorite car you've ever driven or yeah the favorite car you've ever driven
0: favorite car probably the original Acura NSX oh this is nice uh, it's not the fastest i mean it's not slow but it's not the mm-hmm. fastest but holy cow it's like it, it it it's like communicating telepathically with a car it does everything you want
1: oops i like that. Makes sense. What about, um, is there a, a bucket list car that you got to get in? You got to get by oh, the wheeler.
0: there. There's like 30 bucket list. cars. Number
1: one. What's the number one. You got a gun to your head. You got to choose one. Which one is it? The,
0: uh, the 1967 Ford GT 40.
1: Why? Why that
0: one? Uh, cause it won Le Mans because it's just bananas fast and visceral and loud. And it's just awesome. Do you own any right
1: now? Any classic cars?
0: Uh, I've got a 96 Viper GTS and a 2002, almost classic Honda S 2000. Wow. Uh, are you in- oh, go ahead. I was just going to say they're both rear wheel drive, manual two seaters.
1: Are you insuring it with your old employer? I am. I am. Uh-oh. <laughs> is any, any issues inside internally? Any issues with that?
0: The problem is that they are the best in the business. <laughs> and so, you know, I I it,
1: it is what it is. It is what it is. All right, yo, uh, people want to reach out about a DSCR loan or get to know you or learn from you or whatever it might be. What's the best way to do so?
0: Uh, email me, Y-G-I-L-A-D at dot com. That's dot b l o c k i n c . c o m
1: Beautiful, man. Appreciate you doing this. Thanks for coming on. I'll see you in three months.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Jamie. All right, brother. Take care.